At Baker's, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park or wherever. Start your cart with the Baker's app and save from wherever today. Baker's, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show featuring Jason Zuck. Jason has been an intuitive psychic medium since 2004. This show will cover a variety of topics relating to spirituality, mediumship, self-improvement, and intuitive guidance. Whatever interests you, remember that we are all here to share and learn. Sit back and get ready to socialize with the Social Psychic. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show. This is Jason Zook. I am pleased to have special guest Dinah Lechner, who's the State Director of MUFON for Florida and Louisiana. Dinah's a native of Florida. She contributes a great deal of her personal time into investigating UFO sightings and reports around Florida on the behalf of MUFON. She has personally investigated over a thousand active MUFON cases. Dinah's personal experiences add greatly to her success at investigating UFO reports. She has been a very visible public figure, sharing her personal background and experience by appearing on such shows as Donahue Show, The Canadian Shirley Show, NBC California's The Other Side, and over 400 other radio and TV show appearances. MUFON is one of the oldest and largest volunteer civilian UFO investigative organizations in the United States. It consists of over 4,000 members worldwide with chapters in every state. MUFON has assumed a significant role with investigating UFO sightings since its inception in 1969 as a nonprofit organization. The group relies upon its trained field investigators and specialized teams to assist with UFO sightings and with the recovery of any physical evidence left behind during a sighting. MUFON volunteers carry out investigations. They interview witnesses, perform research, and arrive at conclusions from any evidence presented. With great pleasure, I am pleased to introduce Dinah Lechner. Dinah, welcome thank to you, the Thank you, Jason. Show. That was good. Thank you. I just, uh, thank you so much. I, uh, I'm very excited to have you on our show. This is our first episode working on the topic of UFO sightings, and I really am honored to have MUFON appear and you as their representative as the state director for Florida and Louisiana. Thank you for coming on today. Well, you know, we've had an interesting day already. I, I don't know if you know that witnesses that see things can go right to the website, our MUFON website, www.mufon.com, and fill in a report. And we instantly get a generated report. And today we had someone over uh, near your area say that a cow fell out of the sky, which I'm afraid we're not going to take that very serious. But we had a, another one over in Melbourne where someone discovered an interesting piece of artifact that we're going to do more exploration on. And But we have all kind of reports that come in every day, and particularly here in Florida, we have nearly 50 a month. 
So, you know, it, it was exciting. In terms of the, and that, that sounds phenomenal. I know um, Florida itself, we're both situated in Florida. From your personal experience with all these cases you've been involved with, how do you see Florida fitting into the entire picture for MUFON and its investigation of UFO sightings? You know, we're lucky to be here in Florida because we have one of the largest reporting states in all the 50 states. Why? Let's just face it. We're circled, or not circled, but on three sides, we have a tremendous amount of military bases. We Air Force bases, you know, all the way from Homestead, Key West, all the way up to the Panhandle. And we're surrounded with water, which brings in other types of UFO reports, what we call USOs. A lot of tourists, a lot of clear skies, a lot of time. And, and people are outside, Jason. And a lot of people will be outside, and because of that, we get more reports because people are looking in the sky. Now, I was going to say, so Florida plays a big part in all the reports, like I said, of all reports for MUFON. We had 500 last month, of which 50 came from this state alone. What other states other than Florida? Because I know pop culture-wise, there's a lot that's been covered about Area 51, Roswell in New Mexico. And uh, that's, you know, that's one of those things that I, I feel most people who've watched shows like The X-Files and other movies and entertainment programs, that's been, you know, historically where a lot of that focus has been. But compared to that, uh, what other states have you found also have record sightings? I know Florida is a hot spot. Are there other well, areas? Well, California. California okay. is the second hot spot. And then, of course, our third hot spot is Arizona. But we have one state that you probably wouldn't have thought was a big hot spot, and that's up uh, in uh, Chicago in Illinois. We get a lot of reports up around the uh, Lake Erie, and I mean Michigan Lake up in there, Michigan, uh, Illinois, Wisconsin. So it's, sometimes you're really surprised where the reports come from. That's really interesting. You, you'd see, and, and I know like from watching shows over the years growing up on TV, there's always been some type of episode that covers this topic. And uh, I just think in, in terms of the reality of it, and the seriousness of it, you know, seeing things in the sky that you can't explain. That must scare a lot of people who witness a UFO and then don't know what to do about it. Have you found that from experience? Yes. Uh, you know what I found, Jason, that people just don't know what it is sometimes, but they're still curious enough about the mysterious. It's mysterious to them. And so by filing a report, and we do make it easy, uh, many years ago, we weren't, before the Internet, people had to find someone and call in, and all the reports had to be taken by hand. They were done in handwriting. And then it's then we're talking about written documents as opposed to, or written reports as opposed to the quickness of the Internet now. But with the Internet, they can go ahead and put in that report, and within three days, one of our field investigators, and we have over 500 field investigators throughout the United States and international, will contact that witness, and they'll do a more thorough report. So that witness, and we are, I don't know if we mentioned this already, but MUFON is the only organization that does investigate its reports, and they do talk to witnesses, whether they talk to them personally or through an email, because a lot of people do still prefer emails and texts. Uh, we do ask questions. We do find out more about what that witness saw. And I think it gives them comfort when they can move it from their shoulders to our shoulders. 
And I think what's more important than anything is they find someone that's willing to listen, someone that believes that they saw something. Now, whether we can explain it or not, we will find that out as we follow the data. But it makes the witness feel good that they're not alone. And you know, from watching your TV shows or uh, someone, they're afraid to make these reports. They're afraid that their neighbors or their church or their family or businesses will consider them uh, were wacky. But by coming to us, we listen. And I think that's what's important. And can you just tell our listeners uh, the website that they would go to in the event they want to check out MUFON? Uh, I figure I'd bring that up now since you brought up the website. Uh, www.mufon.com. And what's so easy about the website is it helps you formulate your thoughts. As you're making your report, there is a, a situation where you'll put in a quick two or three words, what did you see? And then it helps you pinpoint the location, the time, the date. Uh, did you see it in the east? Did it move to the west? Uh, how big, how little, what color, what shape, what size? And it moves you in this direction so that by the time your thoughts are formulated, and then it gives you a chance to sit down and spend more time developing what happened in a much longer, uh, where there's a text box where you can put a longer report. And if you took a picture, there's a place for you to upload that photo. And someone will look at that photo. And I guarantee you someone will get back to you about that report that you place. With reference to your website, I'm actually on it right now while we're talking. It looks like you could become a member of MUFON. Is that correct? Yep, you can become a member. And let's just say that you, like for instance, I became not only a member, but I moved to the next level where I became a field investigator. Because you know what? Life is hard, but finding a really great podcast makes the days go by so much easier. Hi, my name is Blue Toulousma. I'm a writer, an emotional intelligence coach, and the host of Humanize with Blue Toulousma, a podcast where we believe that when you humanize everyone in the room, a great conversation is almost guaranteed. Join us every week here on Electricast as me and my guest co-hosts unpack big topics and interview even bigger personalities with a sense of humor and a dash of mischief. If you're looking for a new best friend in your head, we've got you covered. I wanted to see what the research was all about. I didn't want to just take someone's word for it. I wanted to be hands-on. And I think a lot of people like that hands-on possibility of being able to investigate cases and get an idea of what really is going on. It helps you support your thought process. Are they here? Are they real? But by working with the cases, you start thinking, wow, the possibilities are uh, unbelievable because we do believe that the ET hypothesis is supported by facts and we get those facts through the cases. Things I think is pretty interesting from my own perspective. In the last 30 years, our understanding of other planets that they call the Goldilocks zone, the planets that are just right for life. Now they're estimating it to be, and I'm not an exact number, but billions and billions of planets that might be similar to ours where life could be sustained. To me, that supports even strengthens the potential for the UFO phenomenon that we've been dealing with all these years. Do you have That's any opinions true. as to that? Well, I believe, as you just said, there is life on other planets. 
am I able to prove it? Not from sitting here in this chair. I have to go and listen to what the scientists have to say and follow that data. What I'm probably more interested, well, not probably, I know definitely I'm more interested what's happening on this planet, what's happening in my own backyard. And by being aware of what's happening in the bigger picture or the universe, it helps me understand what's happening here in this planet. Because let's face it, from our point of view, this is an awful big place too, the Earth, the whole Earth, and no telling what is going on in all the different places. So I want to make sure that I understand it correctly and help it. working with these reports helps me put it in more perspective because every time we get a report, we learn something new that we may not have known before because we have to do research to come to some type of conclusion for that witness. In terms of your actual cases that you've been involved in, there's about a thousand is what I said during your intro. That's How true. Many how many estimated cases has there been that MUFON itself has been involved with since its founding? We have investigated, I'm talking about all 500 investigators international and all through the 50 states, over 83,000 cases. Now, that's a lot of cases. That's just not inputting data. That's actually going out, and there's a lot of times there's field work involved, uh, talking to the witness, because the witnesses. Our, if it wasn't for witnesses, there would be no MUFON. That is the basis of what we do. The witnesses are where we get our cases. And the witness, what's important is that by asking the right questions, the witness can give us information they may not have thought that they had. And we learn a lot that way, too. And every day, as we, and I'm not saying we talk to witnesses every single time. Sometimes they send us a photo we're able to glean enough information from that photo to come to some type of conclusion. But like I said, it starts with the witness and it ends usually with the witness. You're driven strongly by witnesses and volunteers. I know you're a nonprofit organization. How do you function as a nonprofit when everything's volunteer-based and witness-based? I think what's interesting about our volunteers is they're very serious because it is a volunteer organization and there's a lot of good training and a lot of good information. I can just tell you the volunteers really take their time to understand the case, talk to the witnesses. They realize this is not, there's no compensation, that MUFON itself is nonprofit. And the types of volunteers that we have in this organization, they give 150% of their time and their effort because they're getting something of benefit too. They're getting more information about this ET hypothesis. Each case they work brings them closer to understanding this a little bit better. And like you were saying, with the volunteers, we're very serious about this. This is not something that we do frivolously. We are, like I said, we put a lot of time, the folks here in Florida put a lot of time, I do, because we enjoy it. It's very rewarding, this type of work. When you reference ET hypothesis, what exactly is that? Well, you know, we have this hypothesis. Are UFOs, are they real? Are ET, that ET hypothesis, can we support it by facts? Are we not alone? Is it possible that the universe is actually teeming with life, which is something that you mentioned about all the other planets? So uh, this is what we work with in these cases. We try to bring more science to it. And by collecting this data from our cases, 
we actually help researchers. Now, we may not be able to go deeply into a case other than to come to some type of conclusion, but we have, I don't know if you know this, worldwide we have researchers that become part of the organization that use our MUFON database to work deeper into something. And because of this, we also learn from their efforts. And their efforts also help us promote the research on UFOs. They help us discover the true nature of this phenomenon. And one day, I, I can't tell you if we've had caused any scientific breakthroughs, but I would like to hope that our research has. And, you know, one of the most important things is by helping people, I think we also improve life on our planet because this mystery or this phenomenon has been going on all my life, all your life, Jason. So, you know, today I was reading the paper, and I was reading this. these folks. They're in their 90s. They passed away, and they definitely were in service, military service. And I guarantee you they probably saw something. But when they pass away, the information they have passes away with them. And that's why we try and encourage witnesses. Go to our website, whether you're young or you're old or you have information. We can't research without that data. So this is why we do a lot of radio shows and things of this nature, is to try to get, if I have one case about a sighting, that's not as good as having two or three witnesses that have seen it from two or three different uh, locations. That helps give us that uh, credibility that we need within our database. I guess that would be the corroboration, the corroborating evidence where you have multiple sightings of a similar event. That's right. Different people reporting it independent of each other can add to the legitimacy of an actual UFO event and phenomenon. Is that correct? That's correct, and that's important. Like, for instance, in 1985, Gulf Breeze, we just didn't have one report. Oh, Jason, we had hundreds of reports, and that's... Now, for that's where the researchers that they can go into one case and spend a, a large amount of time. There was something to work with. Can we ever solve what happened in Gulf Breeze? No. Can we come close? Yes. But every time we get close, then something else comes up. But that was a big case right here in Florida. 30th anniversary was last November 19, uh, 2017. Very important case for this state. Uh, we have another important case coming up, uh, May 14th, 1978, right here in Marion County where I live, Pine Castle Bombing Range, which is the only live bombing range still in existence. There was a sighting of lights over the forest, and we had so many of the big UFO researchers come into the area to to check on that we that never have it, it was the, we don't have a conclusion on it i'm reworking the case the best with the information that i have but it that was very interesting very interesting right here in this right here in this one county is that where you had eight people who were camping and they saw it at the same time so you can't deny one person saying they may have saw something and someone else tries to discredit when you have eight people that can't be discredited very easily not only the eight people that saw it, but then there also were the people that were on base from the watchtower down to the, the radar men. There was something. We don't know. They'll try to uh, you know, blame it on hysteria. They'll try to blame it off on planets or stars. 
but something happened. And that goes back to having more people report. As a matter of fact, we just had someone in 2005 who wasn't in the original investigation make a report. And that's why we do these shows is for people to come forward. Even the other, I was looking up something for the Bermuda Triangle, and we found four cases. And Jason, get this, the reports ranged from 31 years to 50 years after the event. Can you imagine holding that in for 31 to 50 years and finally saying, hey, I've got to get this story out? That's Absolutely. We, I, I, that's amazing. <laughs> I, I know. Can you just imagine? And that's what I think about the people who, who are leaving, uh, passing away. Do they have something they would like to tell us and, and not know where to go? That's why we try to educate the public. We try to get out there and say, yes, there is a place to go. Now, not every older person likes to mess with the uh, Internet, but, you know, they make a phone call. We help them out. But we need those reports. You know, I'd like 83,000 to be 183,000. You know, the more the better. Has that increased since cell phones have have become commonplace? Yes. Yes, we even have I, – I, I think there's an app, but I know a lot of people do file them with their phone, and they'll use the, um, the vocal where they can vocalize it because we'll see the report, how there'll be a, a misspelled word based on their accent. But we'll take them any way we can get them because we can always clarify the data by just calling the witness. And that, I guess, would have a lot to do with following the data. As you said, following uh, the data. You know what? We don't fill in the blanks. If the data moves us in one direction, that's the direction we go. We don't start off with any. When I read a report, I don't have any idea where it's going to lead me. It could lead me, you know, sometimes I'm so very surprised thinking it might be this and turn out to be totally wrong. So I've learned to quit, you know, making a uh, conclusion before I get to the conclusion. And that's the last thing we do. And we have to support our conclusion. We can't say, oh, I just think it's this. No, that doesn't work. We have to support why we think it's this. What's the percentage of sightings that are explainable for UFOs that you've come across from MUFON? I would say I know this is a high number from 90 to 95%. And then 5%, we just, you know, 10 to 5 to 10%, we just can't. Even in that 90% that there is a possibility of an explanation that also helps our witnesses because I had a gentleman who was just hysterical because he saw 32 unexplainable lights over his home in Jacksonville and it took a while to get to it but what we found that someone there on the St. John's River had launched a wedding there was a wedding had launched 32 Chinese lanterns but for oh, wow. that, but but to look at his uh, look at the video and look at all that, it was very very interesting. I went and did a site visit because I thought, wow, because I'm like the next. I like to know this is it, and and we we get mobile. You know, if we have a case, what they do is they rate them before we get them. Uh, we call them either Cat One, a Cat Two, or Cat Three. And that Cat 3 case is what we call a instant. We've got to get on it in 24 hours. 
And we have what we call a STAR team here in Florida. And STAR team stands for Strike Team for Area Research. That means we mobilize in less than 24 hours and head out to that site. And we have what we call a go bag. And in our go bags, we'll have Geiger counters, we'll have infrared cameras and goggles and things that we need to do our research because, once again, this might may be the one that we pick up sufficient evidence or, or artifacts that will lead us to more information. So we don't take a chance. We are always mobile, this whole state. We have a system in play where we can, you know, mobilize at any time, anywhere. And we have a big state, believe me, from the Panhandle down to Key West. This is Florida covers a lot of territory. How many volunteers do you have actually for Florida itself with MUFON? We have over 35 field investigators, which is a very large amount of field investigators uh, for one area. But we are very organized. We have what we call a chief investigator. And in this state, the chief investigator is also the assistant state director. And his name is John Gagnon. He's over in Melbourne. And you talk about an organized person. He is a firm believer in what we do. He is very secure in working reports. And we do a lot of one-on-one training. So once someone does become a field investigator in the state of Florida, we do work with them one-on-one. We we give them information. We just don't say, okay, go to it. No, we don't work that way. We want them to understand the process and feel comfortable in what they're doing. So this is a darn good state to become a field investigator because we do take such a personal interest in the training of each one of our FIs. And because people have questions, you think it sounds easy to you really put your hands on it. It's not that way. There, it could go so many different directions based on the data. What is a FLAP? SAAT, a SAT. It's called SAT. Uh, it's a specialized assignment team. We let's say, for instance, let's use Gulf Breeze. Let's say Gulf Breeze just happened this week. We would need. And we knew it was going to be a very large case, a lot larger than what this state could handle. We're talking about boots on the ground. We're talking about long-term commitment. And that's when the SAT team would come in. They would come in and they could do a longer-term investment than we could, uh, investigation than we could um, as just here in the state. And then usually what will happen, those types of cases, after they're thoroughly investigated, and it may take up to a year, that's what that team does, that they will only have maybe one or two cases, and it's long-term. What's, uh, I was also looking at another acronym, at FLAP, F-L-A-P is in Paul. What is that? FLAP, F-L-A-P? Yes. A Correct. FLAP is exactly what we had about 18 months ago. A FLAP is when the phones start, first the cases start coming in. Uh, instantly, they're hitting headquarters, and we're talking every 15 minutes. And headquarters all of a sudden goes to what we call our director of field investigators, and the director of field investigators then starts coming to the state director. At that time, it was another state director, and the state director starts alerting the strike team or the star team because what has happened is, let's say in Tampa. Someone saw something they couldn't explain, but then all of a sudden 
within 15 minutes, there was a case in St. Pete. 15 minutes later, Clearwater. 15 minutes later, Brooksville. 15 minutes later, uh, the interior of the state, all the way up to Jacksonville. And this is very unusual when we have a flap because, uh, it, well, it's it's good we've got this system so that everyone, we we call everyone up, people are out with their uh they're out watching the sky. We're alerting the whole state all at one time, all our FIs, everyone's boots on the ground because something is going on, and that's a flap. I see. Let me ask you this. Since you're a volunteer organization, it sounds like you, you do a lot with your volunteers and your investigators and your staff. How do you guys fund everything to operate well, we have to do like everyone else. We go out there and use what's available in the marketplace. And thank goodness, in our case, we start out with Kickstarter. We had a Kickstarter project. It was a license plate, and we picked Gulf Breeze as the graphic that we used on our license plate. And that got us, and we were very fortunate. The uh, Florida was very generous, and we were able to uh, create our license plate sell it at an affordable price, and be able to start putting money into our bank account. We also were very fortunate that two years ago we helped host one of our yearly symposiums. And this year's symposium, it was in Orlando two years ago, and we were able to uh, receive some of the benefit of that financially. The next symposium will be up in Pennsylvania in July. And so... Uh, we also collect funds from selling T-shirts, you know, the same things that most nonprofits do, you know, and we'll have some type of product that will – and we also ask for donations on our website. So we're into social media just like everyone else, and but we do have a nice – people that believe in what we do, and they help us out. That's great. And in reference to your equipment, the type of stuff that you do for the STAR team when you go out in the field, what type of – things do you utilize in your typical investigation for a sighting? Well, you know, it's kind of like when you watch CSI and they have the cameras and they have the the, the, the things they measure with and the flags they put down and uh, these kind of things, collection bags, gloves, you know, hazard biohazard suits, uh, Geiger counters. You know, we kind of look just like a little mini CSI when it goes out there. And uh, because you never know, especially when it comes to an area, the Geiger counter comes into big play to make sure that it's safe, safety first. You know, that's always what's important. Now, we had a case, oh, I think about two years ago, and we thought we might possibly, well, we didn't know for sure that we had a cattle mutilation. And, of course, then we had the Geiger counter to make sure everything was safe before we moved into the area because we want to make sure that not only there's no harm that we're putting any of our volunteers into harm's way, and not everyone is on STAR team. It's only the folks that have been that have been here longer, more training, and uh, that we put on the STAR team. We don't ever want, like I said, safety first. This would not be something that someone who just came into as a field investigator would be exposed to. Eventually, they would work up to that process. How does a volunteer become a field investigator with MUFON? Well, as you've earlier said, they would go first to the website and become a member. And then the website also has an area where you want to become a field investigator, you want to do a little bit more. 
then you would take an online test. You can either buy the hard manual and a hard copy. It's, oh, I know it sounds terrible, 265 pages, but it's easy to read. And once they go through the manual, then they take a online test. It is open book. And you probably say, why open book? Well, you know, I, I think open book tests are just as hard as closed book tests. It makes you go back and read that material again and again so that you've got it. It lets you see what's important. And then we also ask for a background check. And I think this is very important because you will be in witnesses' homes, and we want to make sure not only you are protected but the witness as well. And then we we train. Like I said, we do have training here in the state of Florida, and we work well. We work, you know, one on one with those witnesses. I mean, not the witnesses, with the field investigators. And in reference to the field investigator, approximately how long does it take for someone to apply to become a field investigator to actually getting approved and becoming one? Well, it depends on the the person. If the person is a quick study and likes to plow through the material, they could actually over the weekend, one day. But some people sometimes don't have as much time and they need to kind of absorb the book so they'll go uh, the manual they'll go back and forth a few times. Now, what's nice is if the test is not passed on the first go around, you do have three opportunities within 6 months to retake the test. So uh, we had a gentleman this weekend say, I'm going to do it, and within the week he was a field investigator and will begin his training this next week. And there's others that will take the whole six months. So it's just a matter of how much time you have. or And like I said, there is no rush. You, do, you go at your own pace, and that's what's important. This is not something – and especially when we work cases, we don't rush through our cases. We give ample time to making sure that all the data is collected and the witness has been contacted, and the field investigator is comfortable with their investigation. Tell me a little about the people you interact with who have had a sighting. How do they usually feel when they're interviewed? And let's say they're one of those 5% of cases that you can't explain. What usually do you do with reassuring that person or trying to work with that person moving forward? A lot of times that person may be someone that's had an experience that feels they've had contact. And MUFON has developed what we call the ERT, Experiencer Research Team. And the director of that uh, team is right here in the state of Florida, Kathleen Marden. And Kathleen and her crew or her teammates will work with that witness because a lot of times that witness who's had a close encounter is very traumatized and they need to feel comfortable as they're telling their story. And half of what helps a witness, whether it's a witness who's had a close encounter or a witness that's seen maybe just a light in the sky, half sharing that case with someone who believes you that you had an experience, that's half the battle. And I think that helps a witness. I have seen witnesses that were so traumatized that I still think about it. Just to think about how they get stuck in a moment revisiting that mentally, what happened. Uh, but talking to someone helps take some, it shifts some of the burden from their shoulders to someone who's experienced in listening. And we are all experienced listeners. That's the most important thing we try to teach our FIs. Listen to what the witness is saying. 
let them tell their story. And that's usually how we start the interview. Tell us what happened. Yes, we've already read it, but that's different. Tell us in your own words what happened. With reference to close encounters, can you give us some examples of what would constitute a close encounter versus just a sighting? A close encounter would be someone who feels like they've seen something in their surrounding area, maybe at home. Uh, They've seen an unusual light come into their bedroom. They've heard noises they couldn't explain. Things have been moved. Uh, They feel they're being watched. And they may actually have uh, some type of proof. They may wake up with unexplained bruises, scratches, vivid dreams. Uh, Their clothes may not be the same clothes they went to bed, and uh, these kind of things. Now, we in Florida don't always investigate close encounter cases because they're they're handed off to the ERT team, but we will be able to read the original report before we hand them off, and sometimes most of them are just handed off directly. Jason, on the MUFON website, there is a 20-question survey that even if a witness doesn't file a report, they can go file that survey. And of the questions, it will help the ERT team determine has something happened or not happened. And then the witness will give their uh, you know name and phone number, and then someone from that team will also contact them and talk to the witness. Now, your ERT, is that a separate organization, or is that still part of MUFON directly? It's still part of MUFON directly, and if you'll go, like I said, if you're on the website right now, on the very front page there on the right-hand side, you will see the ERT teammates. It shows their qualifications. It's headed by a doctor, and what's interesting, Kathy Marden, who is the niece of Betty and Barney Hill, one of the most famous abductees thoroughly research case up in New Hampshire. We'll be speaking at Casadega at 3 o'clock this coming Saturday. And she is someone that is so interesting, a strong researcher in this field. And you really feel good when these people have put in as much time researching this part of the uh, phenomenon as we do in researching our what we call the lights in the sky or things that happen on the ground. And they're volunteers. Once again, Jason, they're volunteers, but they do a great job. You know, we don't have to be paid to do good work. I think we do it because we're serious and we want to help others. Tell me a little about your conferences. I know you've mentioned that you have a symposium that occurred last year. Uh, How often do you have symposiums? We have them every year. Last year, two years ago, we were in Florida. Last year, we were in Las Vegas. And I never miss the Las Vegas because we always have a tour out to Area 51. And, you know, even though we get to go just to the back gate, I'm telling you, Jason, if you ever have a chance to go on a tour to Area 51, I mean, it makes it sound like I went in there, but I didn't. It's just the buildup of knowing that you're way out in the middle of nowhere. And nowhere is, I can't even begin to explain that. And when you drive up to that gate and you see the security and you know you're being watched and you know that those people and they're watching you have guns, it makes you really stand up and realize that, wow, this is serious. And it, it just gives you a new respect of the phenomenon that, and especially that area. Now, this year it will be up in Pennsylvania. 
And once again, it gives people a chance. We have about a thousand people come. Not only do we have interesting speakers inside the auditorium, but we also have a lot of interaction that goes out in the hallways where people are able to tell what brought them to move on. It's a wonderful event. I mean, I never miss them because I enjoy just being around the people because we're a unique group of people. And it's nice to be around people who think the same way we do. It's great that when you can have like minds congregate and share ideas. I think that's very important for everything that you're doing right now with this situation. And I think you find it the same with you in the work that you do. It's nice to be able to know that there are people who who feel like they may not be able to talk to their family, but, hey, we go to this conference and we can talk to these people because they understand where we're coming from. Definitely. I want to ask you, because we haven't gotten into this yet, what brought you to MUFON? How did you get involved in it? Well, the first time I joined MUFON was in 1985, and I was living in Tampa. But I found that I didn't, because I owned a business there, I didn't have time to dedicate it as I do now. But I also had lost my husband in 1978. He he was in an accident there in Tampa. And I started having, after he died, I started having tremendous amount of paranormal activity in my world. And I couldn't explain it. And the activity of so many strange things happened that I actually wrote a book and I actually caught the eye of Phil Donahue, was on his TV show, caught and did a show in Canada, did a show out on the other coast. But after a few years, I realized that I needed to learn how to be a good researcher because at this point, it was just my story. Now, could I find other people with similar stories? And... At our similar information. And by coming to MUFON, it was able to help me work with what I call the scientific process, where we remove all the emotion. We just look at the facts. I feel like I'm a Jack Webb, you know, just the facts, lady, just the facts. And that's what we work with. That's how we, it's easier for us to follow the data if we use the facts that are given to us and not try to make it any more than it is, you know, just. And that's what I did with my information. I started looking, and I will tell you, I think most people who become field investigators have had some type of experience, whether it's paranormal or whether they've seen something they can't quite explain, and they're going to start down this road of researching it themselves. So a lot of us will keep an eye out on a case that might come in in the area that we had an event or uh, a similar event. It's just human nature that... There, we come for a reason, and that's what makes us good researchers. Especially if you have your passion behind it, that's and right. you have such a strong interest in this stuff. I can imagine that. I definitely do see that. What's the name of your book, if you don't mind me asking? Called Never Alone, and it's a Kindle version. You can get it off of uh, Amazon. And what I have found. Your loss, by the way. Thank you. I think what's interesting is after I found out so many things that happened that I thought possibly had to do paranormal, I think after a while, Jason, I found that maybe there was other things at play, and that's what I was trying to research. And that's why MUFON was a perfect vehicle for me. And like you said, I brought my passion because 
if I could help someone and I could feel their relief that when they gave their report and we were able to explain it, or even if we're not able to explain it, we just don't say, hey, I don't know what you saw. We have a better way of doing it. We'll say, you know what, one day maybe something will come in another case and it will help us explain what you saw. But right now we just don't have the answer. So we're very sympathetic to the witness and the agony that some of them go through when they put something up that you can just practically feel it in their words on the paper. Like they feel like they shouldn't have done it. But then I think there's also relief when they have gotten the words out and someone reads it and someone calls them and lets them know, you know, we're working on it. Originally, uh, I had brought up earlier about the fact that pop culture covers this topic of alien sightings. I wanted to ask you, based on your personal involvement with MUFON and the thousand, over thousand investigations that you've been involved with, what would you say uh, in terms of comparing how these investigations are portrayed on TV, on other social media, in movies, how does portrayal in pop culture differ from the reality of an actual investigation of a, of a sighting or a close encounter? Well, obviously, we're not going to have all that background music and all those special props and settings, you know. But in a way, it's not too different because when you're talking to the witness, sometimes a witness will tell me something that I am so captivated that you just want them to tell you more, more, more. And and you realize that by listening to them and helping them out, well, really what I wanted to say is a lot of times witness will start with something simple. They'll tell us they saw something in this something that uh, we can pretty well explain, but you can tell by the tone of their voice there's a lot more to it. And we'll say, uh, sometimes we'll say, have you had any other sightings? And then it opens up a floodgate that it becomes bigger than it really originally was. And they are able to tell you things that they have seen. Now, I can't prove Bigfoot, but sometimes someone will go from a simple sighting to have been out hunting and heard Bigfoot or seen Bigfoot. And you know what? That's pretty interesting. And a lot of times we'll, but a lot of times they will not tell us till 10 or 15 years later. So it's not like I can go investigate it and there'll be any evidence. But these people have no reason to tell us something that's not, in their world, it is true. Jason, what they're telling us is true. They haven't embellished it. They are living it. You can feel them living it as they tell you about what they saw. Do you think that there's a, men in black type governmental organization out there <laughs> that tries to cover up sightings and evidence of close encounters with uh, aliens? Well, I have never met one personally, but I've had witnesses say that they've had someone knock on their door. It's, I'm not telling you it's common, but it's not uncommon either that if there is a close encounter, and now I'm not talking more in the more recent time, I'm probably talking more in the 25, 30 years ago, uh, I've had one or two tell us, can I validate it? No. But for them, it was someone knocked on that door, and they always had the And because, like you said, the, the pop culture has really put that men in black out there, people will use that same term. They had that men in black look. 
or if sometimes they'll say they had that military appearance. What does that mean? Well, their haircut's high and dry. They just had the look. So pop culture does translate over into the words of the witness as they're telling us. And when they give us that example, we instantly know what their meaning, what their meaning was when they say ah, military look. Have you encountered witnesses that you've worked with that were actually uh, fearful of reporting a sighting to you? Oh, yeah. That's why they will tell us. That's why the initial sighting might be something simple. And then the real story is something they're not going to commit to paper. They're just going to tell you. One of the things I want to cover, we have about 10 minutes left. So one of the things I want to cover with you is since you're a volunteer-driven organization, how would someone listening to this episode become involved with MUFON? What type of roles could they take? Other than, you know, you could even embellish on what we've talked about already, but I just want to lay that out there for our listener. Well, for instance, let's say not everyone wants to become a field investigator. You can help us at meetings. There are meetings all around the state. Uh, if you say, well, what do you, where are our meetings? Well, they can go. We have a meetup site. Once again, social um, media is called meetup.com, Florida MUFON, UFO Research and Investigation. And we have a lot of people that come to those meetings in the different areas and help. They help present the material. They, if the state director, uh, I mean the state section director is unable to run the meeting, one of the volunteers will step up and take the meeting because we have meetings once a month. So not everyone is a member, but everyone feels comfortable in helping. We have people that will volunteer their time to do publicity for us. They'll volunteer their times in different capacities. And or we have people who actually uh, may be a photo analysis. We have photographers that will volunteer their time to look at photos for us. So there's other ways that people can help here in the state. They just have to get a hold of me, and that's not a difficult thing. They just go to the Florida MUFON website, find a chapter, find Florida, and there's my name. Click on it. The email instantly goes to me. So I have we have a lot of people who moved to Florida. We just have some folks that just moved from Colorado that will reach out and say, hey, we're members. We see what's going on through your social media. And this is how we keep people interactive and active here in the state of Florida. Uh, obviously, we can't react to all the millions of people here, but we can at least put our social media out there so people can go to either our, face, our Facebook page or they can go to our website. And uh, YouTube, we have a YouTube channel with some wonderful videos that we've done in the past. So, like I said, socially with our social media, we're very active out there in this state. That's great. I was looking at your website, and I was want to ask you, what is your live UFO map? The live UFO map is that will show you the last 20 reports, what's happening right now. What's happening right now, you can look at that, and you will see. You're looking at it right now, aren't you? And yes. you're going to see around the United States all the UFO sightings, Right now, uh, as I was talking about, and you'll see the sightings that have photos. You'll see the sightings that have, if there's any media, there's a sighting right now that was reported five years later. We just got the report uh, in Fort Lauderdale. You can go there right now. There's one up in um, Orange Park that's, uh, that just happened. And for people that will say, well, I email, I'm, I sent a case in to MUFON years ago, and I'll say, well, if you have your case number, 
go put the case number in there or the date and whatever, and you can find out it's an excellent starting point for researchers. I had a case out of Louisiana back on the 23rd of last month that was simply a set of uh, F-18 jets flying and the rudders were sticking up through the clouds and someone caught that picture that was attached to the witness. They got it off of what we call UFO stalker. That's what you're looking at. And was able, they formulated a report and it came out of Jerusalem. So it was interesting to look at the photo and the, written in their language and their opinion of it. So we get, do we have someone from Greece that contacts us after they look at something on this, on our UFO stalker? Now, if you go to our website, Jason, which is www.flmufon.com, we also have Live Radar 24. Because a lot of people say, we saw something and we will go to that live radar and show them that there was a plane that crossed over at a high altitude and that's probably what they saw. So that's an interactive map, but that's on our Florida MUFON uh, website, flmufon.com. Tell me a little about alien abductions. I don't think we really covered that very much. I know you mentioned uh, Miss Martin, who's a, the niece, Miss Martin, I'm sorry, Kathleen Martin is the niece of a right. famous individual who got abducted by aliens. Have you encountered interviewing anyone who was actually, that they alleged that they were abducted during a close encounter? Yes. And once it starts going in that direction, we, we go ahead and ask them to fill out the ERT report, and then the case is handed over to ERT. We don't want to get on our level as field investigators. We, we have to be very cautious with this type of case because this witness may need more uh, guidance than we're able to give, and we want to make sure they get it as soon as possible. I can imagine that. That 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 is very intriguing to me with reference to that. Let me ask you, based on your experience at MUFON, how can the organization help others gain an increased understanding of the UFO phenomenon? What could MUFON do as an organization to help the general public, in your opinion? What we do and what we have done in the past is we're stable. We've been doing the same thing since 1969. We do what the Air Force didn't do. We investigate. And we the information is out there. Now, some of the reports that we have, you'll have to become an investigator before the data is released because one thing I will let you know, that we protect the witness. The witness, none of their data is put out there. Uh, and a lot of times witnesses will mark, they have a choice of marking on the report, anonymous or not. And a lot of times reports come anonymous. So their witness confidentiality is very important to us. But the data, though, the report, we try to look for other reports that can collaborate that one that they have as well as see if we can, you know, sometimes when we're working in an area, we might be able to, maybe the witness had two or three other people with them, and we will talk to those two or three witnesses, and maybe those will lead us to other witnesses. Once again, follow the data. But until we open a case and start talking to people, we don't know where it's going to lead us, Jason. We have no idea. Sometimes it, it doesn't go anywhere, and sometimes we're still working on it 90 days later uh, because it's so intriguing. We just can't seem to get all – we get so many leads that we have to keep following and following. As a matter of fact, the cattle mutilation case that I had two years ago, 
one of the researchers is getting ready to reopen it because it's been on his heart of hearts. He says, you know what, we need to go back and rework that case. And that's what I always find interesting about what we have. Our researchers are serious. Sometimes if they feel like they need to go rework a case, they will. And that's what's important. That's amazing. I am so honored to have you on today. Uh, We're running out of time, unfortunately. But I do want to personally tell you how important it was to me to be able to feature you on this episode. I I definitely appreciate the fact that you took the time to attend uh, our show tonight and and be here. Uh, From my vantage point, I think dialogue is one of the most important things we need on these type of issues because to increase understanding and sharing of ideas is how we can decipher what mysteries might exist in terms of unidentified flying objects or aliens or anything of those particular persuasions. I definitely want people and I urge people in our audience to contact MUFON and Florida MUFON and to reach out to you and try to attend current events coming up. And I know there's actually, I want to make sure I I do mention, if you can share with us, there's an event actually coming up in Tampa. If you could tell us a little more about MUFON speaker that's coming up shortly on that. Saturday, June the 9th, that's less than a month from now, they're in, here in Tampa, Jimmy Keel Regional Library. You can go to our meetup site to get more information. David Marler will be just talking about the Battle of Los Angeles. And what's going to be important, I will be there and we'll have all our leadership team. So if you have something you need to talk to us, come there. Because where are the people that you can talk to and share your report? Plus, David is an extremely serious researcher, and it's always good for the general public to see how a case has been researched and how the material is presented on the platform. It it just gives us a good sense of credibility uh, when the organization can present a good researcher like David Marler. Absolutely. Now, other than Mr. Marler, you mentioned an event this upcoming weekend in Casadega. Casadago, Kathleen be- Martin will be speaking on uh, will be speaking there, and once again, she is a serious researcher, and she is the director, one of the directors of the ERT, the Experiencer Research Team. And so, if this is something that you feel you've had an abduction or a close encounter, and you need to uh, report it or or come listen to someone that would be working that type of case because you need to have confidence then it's just a short drive. It's in the middle of the state. I'm like you, Jason. Come see these people. We're putting them, the people are taking their time. They're out there. You know, we're not hiding. We're we're very visible with our meetings every month, our statewide speaker, our other events going on. Come see us. See, we're regular human beings like everybody else. And, And you can build that confidence up because a lot of times, People, they don't know who to talk to, where to turn. And I don't want somebody to let a lifelong suffer if they can talk to one of us. And that's what's important. That's what I really feel is important is let us know. Let us help you if we can. I definitely will be there on the night. And um, I look forward to meeting you in person and meeting Mr. Marler as well. I just want to take time to thank you right now for being on our show and appreciate you spending the time with us today. While we weren't able to answer the question, are we alone, we at least had a very phenomenal in-depth conversation about what your organization does, 
to act as a sympathetic ear, to be that shoulder to lean on for anyone who has a startling experience from a sighting or anyone who's witnessed any of these type of phenomena. I deeply think that what you guys do is, is incredible. And I, I look forward to hopefully having you guys on again on a future episode uh, as well to explore this topic further. And I appreciate it. And like I said, I like that sympathetic ear because that's really what we are. Because we need your reports. We need to hear from the public. And and you know what, Jason, by what you do, you're helping us put it out there and giving the public confidence. You know, here, we're real people. Come talk to us. Well, thank you so much. And I I look forward to keeping in touch with you. I will definitely make my effort to be there on the 9th. And uh, we'll look forward to working with you and your organization in the future to help promote this very important organization and everything you guys do and just helping people in general. That's what this is all about. And demystifying and taking the stigma away from anyone who's a naysayer as to those who actually have these real life experiences. And that's definitely our vantage point. So thank you for coming on. I will be in touch with you and, and, and definitely look forward to helping MUFON achieve its mission. Thank you. Okay. Have a great evening. I just wanted to do a brief summary. Uh, one of my greatest questions is, are we alone in this world? When you look at the media coverage and you see things since the 1940s with the different sightings and the evidence, you have a lot of people out there who are very passionate about this subject. It is important that we keep an open mind and embrace these people who try to share their ideas, have the courage to express themselves. From my vantage point, MUFON represents for anyone who deals with this. They utilize scientific methodology to investigate these sightings, to hopefully document it and work with one another to create a network that can hopefully be responsive to anyone who encounters a sighting. And last point of reference, MUFON itself, their website is www.mufon.com. Ms. Leshner has been very involved in this, and I can't thank her enough for coming on to our program this evening. We will be back next week, same time, Thursdays at 8 p.m. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Social Psychic Radio Show. Don't forget to join us for another episode next time. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes. You can also check us out on Facebook and don't forget to visit the Social Psychic YouTube channel. Until next time, it's a big world out there. Keep an open mind, embrace your paradigms and know that the universe is always yours to explore. At Baker's, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park or wherever. Start your cart with the Baker's app and save from wherever today. Baker's, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum. Restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electrocast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. 
electric acid. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Electric acid. Electric acid. 